Greetings. One must not get one's knickers in a twist. State Building, the Chrysler Building and the New Yorker Hotel. The three buildings that I'm going to talk to you about today, I am pleased to say that I've had the privilege of seeing them, going up them or staying in them. Art Deco was a style that I had only really become interested in in the last few years. When I think of the heyday of New York City, I think of all the glamorous black and white films, jazz music, new money, women in flapper dresses and men in dapper suits. I've been fortunate enough to go to New York City twice. I was instantly in awe of these buildings. Unlike in Europe, when, in the 1920s and 30s, a second huge war was brewing and the atmosphere was somewhat bleak. Largely, across the pond, New York was revelling in glamour and, as a younger cousin to the Western world, was having a bit of fun. New York was the place to be. The New Yorker has a history as intriguing as her intricate design. From her iconic Art Deco style to her indigenous American construction, the grand old lady has been a striking component of the New York City skyline, towering above all others and illuminating it since her 1930s inception. Built with a private power plant, an underground tunnel to Penn Station and even an ice rink, The New Yorker was the most technologically advanced of her day. At the height of her popularity, she hosted influential politicians, celebrities and sports figures, and entertained in the terrace room with those who's who's of the big band era. Today, she returns to her roots. Today, she returns to her roots, proving that she was destined for greatness from the very start. In 1928, construction begins on the New Yorker Hotel. Designed by Sugarman and Birger Architects, this 1.2 million square foot hotel would be the most state-of-the-art building in the country, as well as one of the largest. After just 22 months of construction in 1930, the New Yorker opens on January 2nd, 1930, with 2,503 rooms starting at $3.50 a night towering 44 storeys into the sky and 78 feet below ground. The New Yorker was no small feat, much less one to be completed in under two years. In 1932, the 8th Avenue subway lines opened, giving the New Yorker guests direct access to Penn Station by means of the hotel's private tunnels. In 1933, the inventor of the AC power system and the Tesla power coil, Nikola Tesla, moves into the New York Hotel, occupying rooms 3327 and 3328. 
Tesla lived in the hotel until his death on the 7th of January 1943. In 1939, NBC begins broadcasting live from the terrace rooms. Throughout the 1930s and the 1940s, the terrace room would be the stage for the big name band acts such as Benny Goodman, Woody Harmon, Tommy and Jimmy Dorsey, as well as nightly ice skating shows in the hotel's ice skating rink. In 1941, the Brooklyn Dodgers, under the management of Leo Dusha, moved into the New Yorker during the World Series. Dubbed the first of the Subway Series, the Brooklyn Dodgers would go on to lose to New York Yankees in five games. In 1942, due to its proximity to Penn Station, the New Yorker hosted a number of GIs during World War II en route to the European theatre. Being a big city, state-of-the-art hotel, the New Yorker's development was renowned among the GIs, many of which had never lived in such luxury, much less visited New York City. In 1948, the New Yorker installs televisions in its first 100 guest rooms, making it one of the first hotels in the United States to do so. Being the only hotel in the world with these bragging rights, the New Yorker began to advertise itself as the hotel with the greatest numbers of television sets under one roof. In 1971, Muhammad Ali stays at the New Yorker after his hard-fought loss to Joe Fraser in the fight of the century, which took place across the street at Madison Square Garden. In 1972, after years of New York's inner-city decline, the New Yorker closed its doors, uncertain of its future. During 1976 and 1980, the Unification Church purchases the New Yorker with plans to turn it into a mission centre for Korean religious movements in the United States. In 1980, the renovations to bring the former hotel up to code and to date are finished, with almost all the work done by the Unification Church members. In 1994, the New Yorker reopens as a hotel under the direction of the New Yorker Hotel Management Company with 150 initial rooms starting at $45 a night. In 2001, the New Yorker donates 10,000 free nights to volunteers in the aftermath of the 9-11 attacks. For this act of kindness, the New Yorker was recognised by both New York City Police Department and the Chicago Fire Department. In 2006, the New Yorker breaks ground on one of its most substantial renovations, a three-year project aimed at restoring the building's Art Deco heritage, as well as bringing heating, cooling and safety systems up to date. Thanks to this renovation, guests can now enjoy the New Yorker in all its iconic splendour. When I was there a few years back, it was the Art Deco chrome bathroom fixtures that had me in awe. It was slightly tired and weathered, but the old gal still looked as stylish as I assumed she once did. She had character, and I fell in love. The Chrysler Building is an example of a building caught up in the quest to become the tallest in the world, which it did obtain briefly for 11 months before it was surpassed by the Empire State Building. But because of its iconic and beautiful design, the height of the building never really mattered. A classic example of the Art Deco architecture, the Chrysler Building is considered by many contemporary architects to be one of the finest buildings in the world. In 2005, 
New York Skyscraper Museum asked 100 architects, builders, critics, engineers and historians to choose their top 10 favourite New York towers. The Chrysler Building came in first place with 90% of people ranking it. The project for the Chrysler Building began as a collaboration between architect William Van Allen and contractor William H. Reynolds. Van Allen's original design was very ambitious, containing a decorative diamond crown, showroom windows that were tripled in height and topped with a 12-storey section of glass corners, lighting the look of the building, but his designs proved to be too expensive and advanced for Reynolds' taste, who sold the design and the lease to industrialist Walter P. Chrysler. Chrysler saw an opportunity in the project. The East 42nd Street area, once glamorous in the time that the Grand Central Station was completed, had become commercially cheap with lots of available space. Chrysler believed that he could breathe life back into the area with a brand new iconic building. So much so that Van Allen's original design turned out not to be ambitious enough and he had Van Allen redesign his plans to add additional stories. They were to go for the title of the tallest building in the world. The building also shifted its aesthetic to represent the Chrysler automobile and the machine age of the 1920s. Gargoyles and eagles ornamented the building like the hood ornaments of the Plymouth automobile. The corner ornaments were made to look like the 1929 Chrysler radiator caps. The idea to become the tallest building in the world came out of Walter P. Chrysler's Herbis. It was, in his mind, a huge monument to himself. The project was financed out of his own pocket, ensuring that his sons would get ownership. He was to have an office suite and apartment with an exquisite dining room at the top and asked his builders to make sure his toilet was the highest in Manhattan so that he could look down and observe it and put shit on Henry Ford and the rest of the world. The quest for the height supremacy continued in secret. Being built simultaneously, 40 Wall Street was also boasting of becoming the tallest building in the world, financed by a 34-year-old banker nicknamed The Kit and designed by Craig Severson's. 40 Wall Street Spire was lengthened by 60 feet to push it 925 feet or 85 feet taller than the Chrysler building's plans. So, Chrysler and Van Allen decided to add a surprise 186-foot spire. They hosted four parts of the spire secretly to the top and riveted them together in 90 minutes. 40 Wall Street even held a celebration for being the tallest building in the world without realising that they had just been passed. But Chrysler's victory would only last for 11 months, when the Empire State Building passed it as the tallest building in the world. But here, we see the quest for the world's tallest building didn't really matter. As buildings were always built taller, in the end, it was Van Allen's design that is the most iconic. It may not be the tallest building in New York, but my God, is it the best looking. The Chrysler Building lobby is possibly the most ornate and expensive lobby in the entire city. When walking in, 
the first thing that hits you is the amazing mural that covers the entire ceiling, a tribute to an age in which it was created. It is filled with deco triangles, sharp angles, slightly curved lines, chrome detailing and a multitude of patterns. The lobby shows scenes primarily of the workers that created the building as well as tributes to the airplane and the age of flight. And I have some Chrysler building facts for you. So it has 77 floors, 34 elevators. It was the tallest building in the world for 11 months. It cost 15 million to build and the Chrysler Corporation sold the building in the mid-1950s. The Empire State Building When I was a kid, I had a puzzle of the Empire State Building. Not a regular puzzle, but a Puzz 3D. That was over 25 years ago, and I still haven't finished it. Luckily, for the rest of us, the real Empire State Building was completed many moons ago. My first real encounter with the New York skyline, and especially the Empire State Building, is when I watched Home Alone 2. New York just wouldn't be New York without this iconic building. When I visited in 2015, it was high on my hit list. From ground level, and from the outside, I must admit I was slightly disappointed. For some reason, I thought it was going to be shiny. However, it had a matte concrete finish, but I was entirely wrong to judge the old gal too early. After queuing in the surprisingly short queue, the entrance was amazing. The entrance hall is glazed with marble and art deco shapes. The elevators have that 1920s glamour. The staff were wearing the traditional outfits in a maroon red colour. The traditional bellboy outfits were an amazing touch to keep the authenticity alive. In 1928, the original location of the renowned Waldorf Astoria Hotel on 5th Avenue was sold to Belfam Engineering Corporation for an estimated $20 million. In just a few years, the building was demolished, becoming the site of the world's most ambitious building project, the Empire State Building. In 1929, former General Motors executive John Jacob Raskob, along with Coleman Dupont, Perrier S. D. Pont, Louis G. Comaf, and L. S. P. Earl from the Empire State Incorporation, and named Alfred E. Smith, former governor of New York, to the head of the corporation. In 1930, construction on the Empire State Building begins on March the 17th. Occupying a central spot on 5th Avenue, it was to be the world's first 100-plus storied building. The direction of architects Shear, Lamb and Harmon Associates and building Starlet Bros and Econ, the framework rises four and a half storeys per week. In 1931, in a record-breaking one year and 45 days, construction on the building is completed. The 102-storey building was the talk of the town and, on May the 1st, President Hoover presses a button in Washington, D.C., officially opening the building and turning on the Empire State Building's lights for the very first time. 
1932, as the world's tallest building, the Empire State Building quickly becomes an acclaimed tourist attraction. People from across the world flock to the building, paying 10% to peer through a telescope. In six months, the building collects more than $3,000 in nickels and dimes. In 1933, King Kong debuts in New York City on March the 2nd, putting the Empire State Building front and centre for one of the cinema's most famous films. It's the first of many iconic roles that the building will play on the silver screen and among its most important in pop culture moments. In 1946, 15 years after its opening, the Empire State Building had become the headquarters for several major organisations and approximately 15,000 employees. By this point, the Empire State Building was among the world's most profitable buildings and one of its most recognisable and beloved pieces of architecture. In 1950, to allow more stations to use the Empire State Building antenna, the building installs a new 222-foot-tall, 60-tonne antenna, pushing the spire height to 1,472 feet. In 1955, the American Society of Civil Engineering selects the Empire State Building as one of the seven great engineering achievements in America's history, ranking it alongside the Hoover Dam and the Panama Canal, one of many distinctions that the building has received over the years. In 1956, as a symbol of welcome and freedom to visitors, four large beacon lights are installed at the top of the tower. These beacons, which could be seen across the city, were known as the Freedom Lights. In 1961, Lauren A. Wynne, Peter L. Malkin and Harry B. Helmsley buy the Empire State Building for 65 million, approximately $557 million today. The price, which does not include the land, is the highest ever paid for a single building. In 1969, the Empire State Building serves as a fresh line for the Daily Mail transatlantic air race, which saw 360 runners, men and women, pilot jetters, propelled planes and helicopters, making the long transatlantic trek from London's post office tower to New York City. In 1976, the Empire State Building Observatory receives its 50th millionth visitor. Today, it welcomes a million visitors every year with its incredible observatories. In 1976, to honour the United States Bicentennial, the Empire State Building installs coloured floodlights to illuminate the building at night, lighting up in red, white and blue. This leads to today's very popular Lighting Partners programme. In 1978, February 15 marks the Integral Empire State Building's annual run-up, hosted by the New York Road Runner Club challenging racers to climb more than 1,500 steps to the top. Today, the run-up remains a time-honoured tradition. In 1981, on May 18th, the New York City Landmark Preservation Commission declares the Empire State Building as a national landmark. 
1986, the Empire State Building is recognised as a National Historical Landmark by the National Park Service. In 1994, on February the 14th, the Valentine's Day wedding takes place on the Empire State Building. More than 250 couples have exchanged their vows during the event. The annual televised event is covered by the news outlets around the globe. In 2007, the Empire State Building is ranked number one on the list of Americans' favourite architecture by the American Institute of Architects, beating out other national landmarks including the White House, the Golden Gate Bridge and the Washington Cathedral. In 2009, on September the 29th, the newly renovated ceiling in the 5th Avenue lobby is unveiled, precisely recreated in the image of the original on opening day. A masterful Art Deco mural, it takes artisans 20,000 working hours to execute the renovation, longer than the original construction of the building. In 2010, it went digital. The Empire State Building connects with more than 500,000 fans globally through Facebook and Twitter. In 2011, the Empire State Building receives a 2011 Green Power Leadership Award. In 2012, the Empire State Building unveils its new LED lighting system capable of 16,000 million different colours. With this upgrade, the building has even more ways to wow tourists and New Yorkers alike. In 2018, a new 34th Street visitor entrance was unveiled and opened to the general public. For nearly all the visitors, it's where they first step into the world of the Empire State Building. In 2019, after a comprehensive renovation of the 2nd and 80th floor exhibition, a new Empire State Building is revealed. Visitors can now live the Empire State Building experience like never before. The entire time that I was recording this podcast, I have actually subscribed to the Empire State Building observatory camera. I can actually see currently in New York, it actually looks really sunny and quite pleasant. Blue skies, some clouds, but not many. But what this is amazing. I am all the way in London. And I can see New York City.